Uh, this morning, we're going to continue uh, back in our series with Nehemiah. Uh, last week, we had our All About Him Sunday, and it was truly a great celebration. Isn't that right? Amen. We celebrated the Lord last week, and uh, we're thankful for, for that. Uh, today, we want to continue with this series of Nehemiah, and we're going to share part two. It's kind of a series within a series of, of the last sermon on Nehemiah. And uh, the series is The Nehemiah Perspective. And today we're going to talk about how to handle opposition, part two. How to handle opposition, part two. And if you could just, I don't know if we can get a little more here, just a little more. That, thank you. All right. Um, and really what we're talking about is how do you deal with your haters? How do you deal with haters? People that are coming against you. When you're trying to do something that is good and something that is godly. When we last visited Nehemiah, he had just heard the taunting, hurtful, and discouraging remarks of his enemy, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They proved themselves to be haters of the worst kind. You know, the ones that can't stand to see or to see anyone doing anything that might be considered good for others or themselves. And all of us know some folks like that. Just no matter how good the circumstance seems, they can't stand to see folks getting blessed they can't bear the thought of that somebody would do something good for somebody else and so what they find themselves is in this idea in this concept of really becoming a hater somebody who doesn't like to see the progress of others And in the first two chapters, in the midst of all of this haterism, Nehemiah, I I just made that word up, by the way, haterism. (laughs) Nehemiah proceeds with a dogged determination toward the goal of rebuilding a people whose broken and burned wall symbolized the level of distress in which he finds them. He he continues this gargantuan task of moving a wounded people forward. And and that task is not lost upon Nehemiah. And yet he does not find himself languishing in awe of the size of his task, but instead finds himself rejoicing in the size of his God. Nehemiah knew that God was bigger than, than his enemies. And I want to encourage you today, if you don't get anything else this morning, I want you to know that whoever your haters are, whoever your enemies are, that God is bigger than your enemies. Look at somebody and just tell them God's bigger than your enemies. God's bigger. So, so in chapter 3, and we're going we're gonna to take our text from chapter 4, but in chapter 3, Nehemiah proceeds to strategically assign the work of rebuilding the wall 
in spite of the harassment from his haters. These enemies watched while Nehemiah worked. Isn't that just like haters? You're working and they're watching. Isn't that just like them? You are laboring and they're laughing. You are, 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 are making sure that things get done and they're doing everything they can to destroy your confidence. Nehemiah worked and they watched. Nehemiah assigned each family a portion of the wall near their own house. And this strategy meant that each family had a personal investment in that which would, would, would protect those persons and property that meant the most to them. So if you were living on one block, you built the wall on the block in which you lived. You built in a place that would protect those things that were nearest and dearest to you. You know, people tend to work harder when the investment has a personal attachment, meaning that that in order to rebuild a community, we must teach people the value of building their own portion of the city. I almost said, do I have a witness? We must teach people how to value their own property, their own neighborhood, their own portion of God's blessing. If God has given you a home to live in, whether you're paying rent or a mortgage, motor grass. I wish I had somebody here. If, if God has given you a place to stay, maybe it's an apartment building. Go outside your door and sweep the hallway. Build your own portion of the blessing. And one beautiful element of Nehemiah's personal stake strategy is that as they were building the wall, they were also being rebuilt themselves into a people who trusted that God had not forsaken them and that he was worthy of their worship and their trust. See, my brothers and sisters, prior to Nehemiah coming, being so long in captivity had stripped them of their spiritual identity. They forgot to whom they belonged. And I want you to know that there are way too many believers that have seemed to have forgotten to whom we belong. Amen. We, 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 we operate as if the enemy has the upper hand. We forget that the God of heaven has put his seal of approval on our lives. And we belong to Jesus. And so they had forgotten. They were living under the bondage of sin. And when you live under the bondage of sin and unrighteousness, it'll make you forget in whose image you are made. Another element of Nehemiah's strategy worth noting is that his challenge to rebuild was not one that was discriminating 
by any manner or means. He did not set aside light or no duty assignments because of some of those had some political importance. He didn't give a light assignment or a no duty assignment to people who had a rich family heritage. You know how we do. You know, you know my, my family is somebody. And because my family is somebody, I come from a long line of somebodies. I know that's nobody in here, but I'm just saying this, you know, and, and, and we we think that our work should be less because we put more money in the offering plate. I wish I had somebody here. I, we, we, we think that we should do less because maybe our name has been around a little while longer. But Nehemiah didn't play that game. He had everybody working. Carpenters worked, but so did the nobles. Iron workers labored, and so did the shepherds. Nehemiah even had the preachers. I, I knew it was going to be some amens on that one. <laughs> Nehemiah even had the preachers, the priests, working. The Bible says in chapter 3 that those priests got out there and started building the wall. The other day we had a, a painting painting party here and I was standing in my office and and I said there's a little part of this wall outside my door that I need to be painting because here's the thing if you're going to lead people amen you've got to lead them in everything come on yeah you that's a praiseworthy moment that's right and it is not just praise praise for God not me because because every leader should want to partake, Jesus never asked people to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. When he said, take up your cross and follow me, it's because he knew a cross was in his future. Oh, thank God for that, right? And so, and so he had, the, he had the, the priests were working. For too long, we've assigned the rebuilding process only to those whom we think should get their hands dirty. But what about your hands? What about my hands? Does our God discriminate by saying certain hands are too good for the plow? No, he does not. He calls us all to put our hands to the plow. So we have a man... And Nehemiah set to a task, continuing to work in spite of ridicule. And then, and then even as this ridicule came, the opposition decides to increase their pressure upon Nehemiah and the people. As they saw the progress of the wall, the haters, you know, those three Haters that the text names, uh, Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. They began to ramp up their criticism of the Jews. The scripture says in Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Now when Sambalat heard that, they were, that we were building the wall. And something about haters, they always hear things, don't they? They read your Facebook page. They saw, saw it on Twitter. Haters heard that we were rebuilding the wall. When Sambalat heard that, he was angry and greatly enraged. 
And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers. Now, it's amazing. I don't know what the relationship was between Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem before this. But all of a sudden now, when they're against Nehemiah, they're brothers. So uh, here's something I'm going to throw in for free. You got some haters that'll hook up with each other. And do some three-way hating on you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> just so you know. Just so you know. And so here, here, here these, these, he said, the, the scripture says, and he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore this wall for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Now, this particular section of that verse really stood out to me because it was clear right then that these haters didn't know who God was. Let me tell you this. When they start asking questions, can God bring stones out of rubbish and even burn stones and make a wall? Apparently, they were not clear on who God was because this is the same God that told the prophet, prophesy in the valley of dry bones. Preach to these bones, these bones that are dry in this grave place. Preach to them and watch these bones come back to life. And we serve a God that can bring back dry bones. And if he can make dry bones live, stones and burn stones is a little thing. To him. So verse 3 says, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. I want to tell you today that you are doing something good in your life and there are people out there that have such little respect for the good thing in your life that they will begin to make fun of it and say say to you, it won't take much to break it down. And that's what they were doing. Notice the anger and the angst and, and the ridicule regarding the quality of their work. It's always somebody that wants to make fun of the quality of your work. They don't care how hard you're working. They don't care how how dedicated you are. They just want to make fun of the quality of your work. Now, these same haters who mock them are now angry at their progress. It is worthy to note that many times the same haters that mock you become more dangerous the more they see you progress. So Nehemiah needs to meet their vitriol and their haterism with a strategy that manages the morale, the security, and the work of his people. Now, there are three elements employed by Nehemiah that I want to share with you today to deal with his haters and maintain the focus of the people. And let's walk through this fourth chapter and see these elements and Nehemiah's strategy. The first thing that Nehemiah does is that he places his enemies in God's hands. You have to place your enemies in God's hands. That's that right there. A light bulb went on for somebody. 
You've been trying to fight back yourself. You've been trying to go on Facebook and defend yourself. And I'm telling you right now that you just need to put those haters in the hands of God. Watch this now. Watch this. In verse 4 and 5, Nehemiah of chapter 4, he says, Hear, our, our, O oh our God, for we are despised. He's praying. He says, Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Nehemiah, already proven to be a man of prayer, understands clearly that the advance of his enemies could not ever overcome the judgment and the authority of his God. Nehemiah knew God had the rightful authority and power to judge the actions of his enemies. See, my brothers and sisters, I told you before, you, 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 you think in your mind that your problem is big. But you forget about the size of your God. Nehemiah knew that God had the the right authority and the ability and the will to judge his enemies. So he puts them in his hands. He says, do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you. Oh, see, somebody going to get set free right there, right there, right there. You thought that them hating you was about you. Amen. See, you stand and you represent Jesus Christ. Their hating is not about hating you. They are actually trying to provoke the God that resides in you. They are provoking God and not you. I remember when Moses was complaining to God about the children of Israel. And he said, Lord, these are some rebellious, stiff-necked, grumbling, always mad people. And I just want you to wipe me out. Moses was ready to commit prophetic suicide. <laughs> Kill me, Lord. So I don't have to deal with these folks. I know if a few preachers and every now and then <laughs> I better be careful. I'm not going to say that out loud, <laughs> but sometimes the weight of leading people is so heavy that you say, God, can you just get me out of this? And, 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 and God, God says, Moses, you have to understand the nature of this rebellion. You think they're rebelling against you. It is not against you that they rebel. They are rebelling against me. And we have to understand that all sin is a rebellion against God. So he says, they provoke you to anger in the presence of the builders. He prays for God to hold them accountable for what they were doing to God's people. He identifies the action of his enemies as sin, which is always an affront to God. The haters were trying to discourage the people. When we face opposition, 
it is crucial to remember that the judgment of our haters is best left in the hands of the great judge. The great judge of the universe, the almighty God, learn to place those haters in God's hands. He can and will deal with their efforts to oppose you and the work that God has given you. We've got to understand that. That people are best left in the hands of God. The Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But there are some powers and some principalities and the rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness and high places and all those things. Those things that are coming against the people of God. And we're worrying about the personality of a hater. Don't worry about your hater. Don't worry about their personality. This isn't a personality struggle. This is a struggle against sin and evil that wants to overtake you and the world in which you live. Put your haters in the hands of God. Now, there's a second thing that Nehemiah does here. Strategically, Nehemiah doesn't stop working. And so I say to you, don't stop working. In dealing with with opposition, Don't stop working. Opposition is designed to make you grab your toys and go home. How many people has the devil got that way? As soon as they decide that they're not going to sing your song this Sunday. I'm not coming back to that church. They won't sing my song. They clap their hands. They do it. I'm not coming back because the enemy wants you to just take your toys and go home. I've learned something about that over the years. <laughs> that, that one thing about it, don't think your toys are the only toys God has. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be, don't, don't be uh, uh, really fooled by that. Because God, God has more gifts. You see, when, when, when the prophet was sitting there under that tree and he was like, I'm the only one, God, I'm the only one. And God would say, man, I would never put all my hopes on one man. Uh, you let me say it the way I want to say it. That's what, I would never, God said, I got 7,000 more people that have never bowed their head to a false god or an idol. Don't think you're the only one. Don't think that God's church stands on you. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The church is built on Christ and not us. So don't stop working. So look at what Nehemiah does in verse 6 of chapter 4. He says, so we built the wall. In spite of all the opposition, In spite of every, we built the wall. We didn't stop working. And and all the wall was joined together to half its height. They were halfway done. And the reason is because the people had a mind to work. It would have been easy for Nehemiah to succumb to the threats and the taunts of his haters, falling prey to the attack on his morale and allowing the people to do the same. But Nehemiah has the spiritual courage to choose a different path. 
a path not defined by the opinion of his enemies, but a path directed by the hand of his God. He chose to keep the work moving. Now, no doubt there might have been some people that said, Nehemiah, wait a minute. And, you know, we got some enemies out here. They, they want to get us. They want to stop us. And Nehemiah said, keep working. Keep working. I prayed to God about these enemies. Keep working. Once you have placed your enemies in the hand of God, don't stop working. So many times we are pushed to resign from our divine assignment. Because of what others think they have and, 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 and will say that the people of this community in Gary cannot rebuild. They will and have laughed at us saying that we are wasting our time, Bethel Church, helping people see a new chance at life through the gospel of Jesus. To that, I say to you, keep working. Keep working. They have said that people can't come together in spite of everything, in spite of all of the differences in this room today. They said it can't happen. I say, let them laugh. We got to keep on working. Keep working. Nehemiah says, so we built the wall halfway because in the face of opposition, The people had a mind to work. A mind to work is a great tool in overcoming your haters. Let them hate. You keep planting the seeds of the gospel. Let them hate. You keep pursuing your divine assignment. God has called you into this wonderful relationship with him and called you to share it with everybody. Keep working in the face of your opposition. Nehemiah's strategy was, I'm going to work. While it's day, because when the night come, no man can work. Nehemiah said, I got to work no matter what they say, no matter how many names they call me, I'm going to work. There's some people in this room today, you've been destroyed on your job because people, people think something different of you saying, oh, what are you doing? Reading your Bible at, at break time, reading your Bible at lunchtime. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're so better, so much better than everybody else? No, I'm no better than you, but I serve a savior that's better than us all. Keep working in spite of. Of the opposition. Somebody will tell you. You can't do it. Because of where you live. Where you come from. Who your mama was. Who your daddy was. I say keep on working. Some of us have parents. That have gone to prison. I'm telling you. So what? Keep on working. That does not define. Who you are. Some of us have lost. Loved ones close to us. And as painful as that is. Keep working. Keep working if for no other reason. If that loved one was a child of God, there's going to be a day of great rejoicing when you come over to the other side and see them because the Bible says that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and they are saying, run this race. Keep working because it's worth it. So Nehemiah said to the people, we can't stop. We can't stop. Now I want to 
these last few minutes, I want to take you through this last portion of chapter 4 because I want you to see that this, this third thing that Nehemiah does is really awesomely strategic and powerful because not only does he place his enemies in the hand of God, not only does he focus and, and, and stay busy with the work that God had assigned him to. But here's the next thing. Nehemiah fortifies the weak places. And if you want to you overcome your enemies, fortify the weak places in your life. Now, this, this is going to catch us all right here because every one of us has some weak places. Amen? You ain't always been the shouting, thanking Jesus, hallelujah person that you are today. <laughs> Amen. There was a time when you loved going to the link bar more than you loved coming to church. Amen. Or someplace like that. There was a time when you loved foolishness over favor. And so I'm telling you that there, there are some remnants somewhere in your life that are some weak places that we tend to overlook. And we, say, we, we focus so much on our strengths. You know, I'm a, I'm a strong prayer. I'm a strong Bible reader. I'm a, I'm a strong this. But there are some weak places. And these weak places have a way of keep coming up again and again in our lives. And so Nehemiah understood that in the building of this wall, there were some weak places. Some places that were vulnerable to attack. And in dealing with your enemies, you never underestimate the fact that your enemy could be looking at your weak place. Watch this now. As a result of seeing their taunting and threatening of Nehemiah and the people was not causing them to stop the work, the haters became even more enraged and they began to plan for a fight. They could sense. Look at verse Verse, verse 8, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. God is revealing the strategy of the hater to fight and cause confusion. And so, and so in doing this, they were planning to fight. They could sense that Nehemiah was not going to be intimidated by them, not by their words. Because they had called him everything but a child of God. They had called him all these names. They had called the Jews all these things. And yet the people kept on building the wall. They kept on working. And the wall was halfway done. And the haters said, we have to amp up our attack. Because apparently they're not getting this. And he saw Nehemiah wasn't intimidated. Now the text does not tell us, and I've often wondered, how did Nehemiah know about his enemy's plan? I will surmise that when we put our enemies in God's hands, God sometimes puts their plans in our hands. Let me, let me say that again. When we put our enemies in the hands of God, God takes their plans 
and puts them in our hands. And we're able to see, to able to discern exactly what their motives are. You wonder why sometimes you, my grandmother used to say things like, that person doesn't mean you any good. How many of us heard that? That's right. And it was that discernment that, that God was revealing the plan of an enemy. But now let's, let's, look at, let's look at Nehemiah's response to that. In verse 9 he says, And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Watch this now. I'm good with having a prayer meeting. And we need to have some prayer meetings. But let's not forget that we need to set some guards too. Nehemiah prayed and set the guard. If we're going to help people become all that God would have them to be, don't just go home and pray for them. Set some guards in their life. Be willing to stand and ward off the enemy for somebody else. That's what it's about. Prayer is a constant presence in the life of Nehemiah because prayer serves as the foundation of his life. Why does it seem as if Nehemiah always knew how to react, what to say and what to do? It's because he prayed every time before he made a move, he prayed to God. He said, we pray. And I could just, I could just hear Nehemiah reacting to God's word. God, God, you, what, what do you want me to do? God says, set some guards around the camp. Put some people out there and let these enemies and these haters know I ain't playing. And so here he does that. Nehemiah hears a report that there were weaknesses. There were points of weakness that were needing attention. In verse 10, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble by ourselves. We would not be able to rebuild the wall. There were people whose the load was too heavy for them. They were working hard as they can. This morning, I said to our worship team, I said, I want you to know that I appreciate how hard you're working. You've learned 24, 25 new songs in six weeks. That burden is heavy. But yet, keep on working and watch God do a great thing. Oh, come on, give God some praise for that. Keep working. So, so, so. He saw that there was a weak point. The builders of the wall were becoming physically weak because of the sheer size of the task. Sometimes the, the work seems so big that even as we call ourselves to do it, our bodies say, how are we going to do this? There are times when we wake up in the morning and we know it's time to go and do what God has for us to do. And our physical bodies say, why don't you hit that snooze button about 10 more times? Let them get started. You get there when you get there. And I'm saying, where does the energy come from to overcome the physical tiredness? They were weak. 
Not only in their physical bodies, but they were weak in spirit. Their spiritual stamina was failing. My brothers and sisters, satanic attacks are designed to first destroy your spiritual stamina. If the enemy knows he can have you thinking that God doesn't love you, God doesn't care, and nobody cares about what you're going through, then your spiritual stamina gets destroyed. Haters can destroy your morale. If you let them, if you sit around and think about your haters too long, your morale will be destroyed. If you sit around and think about, oh, oh, I'm nobody's helping me. Boy, it's people that don't want me to succeed. If you start thinking about that, your morale to success would be destroyed. Now, let me share this with you. We maintain our spiritual strength in much the same way we maintain our physical strength. We must eat right. Now, I've had far too many McDonald's and Burger King to really to have the high moral position to tell people how to eat. <laughs> in fact, in fact, LaDonna, Pastor Steve and I were over at the Women's Center yesterday and uh, Friday, and, uh, and we're over there, and, uh, and you go into Women's Center in a beautiful, beautiful place uh, for crisis pregnancy, and it's now open, and, and go over there, and, and they have the ultrasound room. And Pastor Steve says, let's get Pastor Ray on the table. Let's see what all that is. <laughs> I'm like, you got jokes. You're funny. That's right. I told him, I don't have to get on the table. I know what it is. McDonald's, Burger King, uh, <laughs> Shark's Chicken. <laughs> so, I, I know what that is. I don't need an ultrasound. <laughs> you put that thing on me, you might see Ronald McDonald's in there. <laughs> There's a hamburger down there, you know. <laughs> So, 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 but the point is here that if you want to enjoy good physical health, you eat right. And if you want to enjoy good spiritual health, you must also eat right. You've got to have the right spiritual food. And just like fast food physically is not good for you, fast food spiritually isn't good for you either. Now, what do I mean by fast food spiritually? I'm skipping church today and I'm just going to go on the internet and read a scripture. I'm going to blueletterbible.com and read one verse and I'm, going to, I'm not going to church this Sunday. I'm going to turn on the television and watch a half of a sermon. You know, I'm going to church and I'm going to tell the pastor, heat it up in a hurry. I need a microwave message today. And we want fast food spiritually. But God is saying, I've designed a diet in this word that is not a McDonald's diet. This is a real, healthy, spiritual food that you must eat. And you got to take your time. For all you new believers there, you're not going to learn all this in one day. But that's okay. Because none of us know it all. We're still growing. We're still progressing. Take your time and eat right. Don't be eating all over town either. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> we eating all over town, you know. 
Every time somebody have a revival, I'm going to revival. me? I'm going over there. I'm going. And you're running all these different tables. My mother had a thing about that. There are only a few people I could go to their home for dinner. My mother didn't have to know something about how they cook their food, what the ingredients were, the cleanliness of their kitchen. Come on here, somebody. You see where I'm going with this, don't you? You running over to somebody else's church, somebody else, and you a member of Bethel Church, you run over and talk about, oh, everybody stand behind one of these desks ain't preaching the word, y'all. Not happening. And so, and so you can't eat all over town. Now, look, Nehemiah says, and our enemies said they will not know, verse 11, or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Their enemies thought that nobody was watching the camp. They just didn't realize who was watching over the workers. They thought that their plan meant that they could sneak in and destroy people's lives. I want you to know that God is watching over your work. Verse 12, at the time the Jews who lived near them came, at that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, ten times, you must return to us. So Nehemiah does this. He says, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Now I know that we have to understand that we, we have to use the warfare weapons that God has given us. He says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. We need some people who are willing to be spiritual weapon bearers in this church, in this community, who are willing to say, station me at the transportation center. Station me there and let me be used by God to tell people how wonderful Jesus is. Watch this now. They had their spears and their bows. Nehemiah reinforced the weak points of the wall. Families fought together and not against each other. Get that now. Families fought together and not against each other. We must work together as one church, not based on our physical traits, our friendship connections, our neighborhood, nor by our talent or our ability, but as one spiritual family washed in the blood of the Lamb. We must work together and not against each other. If it's not your time to sing, it's all right. If it ain't your time to pray, it's all right. If we don't call on you to do the announcements, don't worry. If you want to serve in the children's ministry, I'm sure we can find room. (laughs) Don't, Don't worry. Work together. People need to see the church working together. This isn't the VFW. We don't need to be arguing and fighting with one another and and all that kind of stuff. Let's work together. Let's love one another. Now watch this now as we finish this thing. Nehemiah says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers 
for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes to fortify the weak places. Nehemiah rehearsed the vision. In order to fortify the weak places in your life, remember the vision that God has placed in you. And that vision begins with the truth of the gospel. That I was a sinner, lost, on my way to hell. And Jesus Christ thought enough of me to go to Calvary, to be hung high and stretched wide, to shed his blood for my sin. That is God's vision for my life. To be a recipient of this great grace. And when I think about the weak points in my life. I think about that vision. I think I need, I, I need to hear it. I need to read it. I need to pray it. I need to talk about it. I need to talk to somebody else who shares that vision. Fortify those weak places. Beginning with understanding the impact of the gospel in your life. And when you fortify those weak places, I'm telling you, you can be ready for any attack. You can be ready for any hater. When you look at the weak places in your life and say, God, I'm going to station your word right there. I'm going to stand on your promise. This is a weak place for me, but I'm standing on your promise. I'm going to pray through this thing. I'm not going to let it affect me. I'm not going to let it tear me down. And God, I know you're not going to let the enemy in. And I'm going to stand on this promise. And so my brothers and sisters today, as we come to the close of this message, stand on your feet in this room. And I want you to think for a moment about those weak places, about how to fortify those areas in your life. Put your enemies in the hands of God. Make sure that you don't stop working. All a hater wants to do is to get you to stop. Look at them and tell them I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep building this wall because God set me on this course. And then look at the wall as you get it built. Look at those weak spots. Let me tell you something. The weakest place in your life is when you first set the brick. It hasn't had time to settle and it hasn't had time to dry. When you first get this word in your heart, the enemy wants to come and kick over your wall. You got to understand. That that's the place you have to fortify. You've got to guard it. You've got to guard it with prayer. You've got to say, God, I just got this word and I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to fortify this word.